I found a quote this week about Thanksgiving, and I love it. And I'm, gonna, I'm giving you a, a teaser towards it. We're going to get to it in, in a second. But the main passage that we're in today is Luke 19, uh, 1 through 10. And it is the story of a diminutive soul. Uh, that great archetype character of Scripture named Zacchaeus. And so for some of you, you know this story. How many of you know this story? You've ever heard this story, right? And I'm not sure who brought this about, but when we say, at least when I say the name Zacchaeus, scripturally, I know there are some of you out there humming an Irish tune, right? And, and unfortunately, or fortunately, somehow within our children's ministries, we came up with this song, and I don't know if it was an attempt to be politically correct. I don't know if it was just an Irish folk singer that wrote the song, but somehow we came up with, ah, a wee little man, right? And so it's going through your head, it's going through your head. So I was thinking about this for a background today, you know, just to take us back a little bit. Uh, this artist was a little, I don't know what's wrong with those people's eyes, but this is what we're showing our children. It's a little scary. But, uh, you know, Scripture doesn't say that, uh, that Zacchaeus was necessarily starring in an episode of Little People, Big World, right? He's not a roll-off, although that poor second child, Zach, did you ever key in on that? Did you, you know, mom and dad probably have this, the tune as his ringtone on their phone, right? Zach's calling, it's a little jazzy version of, of that, right? I, I figure that probably is a fact because my, my wife, for her ringtone, for our family, everybody in the family, including myself, when we call, her phone plays Looney Tunes. <laughs> so, you know, it, it is what it is. But I think if I kept that up there, that was a little hearkening back into our days and, 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 you know, this story. But let's get a little serious. I actually like that picture. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful painting. And so today we're going to be talking about the thanks in giving. And we're going to be in Luke 19, 1 through 10. And before we get there, I want to share this quote with you um, this morning. Um, let's see if that comes in a little darker. There we go. This is a beautiful quote, and we're going to start and finish today with this. It's not the most important thing you're going to hear, but it is a beautiful statement on thankfulness. And as we move into the week of Thanksgiving, uh, I want this to resonate with you today. There are three kinds of giving. Grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. Grudge giving says, I hate to. Duty giving says, I ought to. Thanksgiving says, I want to. The first comes from constraint, the second from a sense of obligation, but the third from a full heart. Nothing much is conveyed in grudge giving since the gift without the giver is bare. Something more happens in duty giving, but there is no song in it. Thanksgiving is an open gate into the love of God. Amen? Amen. So with that tone, with that tenor this morning, let's look at our passage as we dive into this understanding of Zacchaeus. 
And I don't know that many of you would, would think of the story of Zacchaeus when it comes to a Thanksgiving message, but hey, I'm preaching today, so you never know where we're going, what's happening. Let's start with verse 1. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, one I can relate to deeply. You'll see why. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Some of you, that just went right by you. My second child's name is Jericho. So, um, but not named after this verse. He entered, he being Christ, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. How many of you have been tracking the big tax plan? The tax reform? Right? See the brilliance of, of how God works? I just decided to include the story of a tax collector this week in the midst of our political landscape. Sensitivity is abounding today. He was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowds, he could not because he was small in stature. Let's speak to this just for a second. This does not mean that he had physical impairment and, and as maybe in the 70s, uh, he would be called maybe a dwarf or in the 80s, he would be called a midget and now today in our current landscape, a small person. It just means he didn't have the same height as the rest of the crowd. All right? It's just a little challenge vertically. That's our nice way of saying the guy was a little small. Maybe he had a Napoleonic complex. I don't know. So Zacchaeus was small, but he wanted to see Jesus. Hmm. So, verse 4, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Some of you can relate to this. How many of you have taken your children to Disneyland? You know where I'm going. Electric light parade. They don't even do that anymore, do they? That just dated me. All right, the princess parade or the Christmas parade or some kind of weird parade is going by and your child has to see it and your child can't see it and so you have to put your child on your shoulders. Been there? And you're saying, how long is this parade? Really? Are we going to see the entire cast of Aladdin? What's, you know, so, you know, you, and then, then if you've got two kids, now you've got a big problem, right? Three kids, don't go to the parade. Same idea. Something big is happening. Jesus is coming by. And Zacchaeus by the way, Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, guy's got no friends. Think about where this person is spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He was despised in his community. The only friends he probably had were people because they knew he was rich. There was something desirous about this Jesus. And Zacchaeus was not going to be stopped. He had to see who this person was. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him 
joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Who are the they? The crowds. Anybody. People paying taxes, yes. Are you kidding me? Here comes Jesus and the person he encounters, the person he reaches out to. I watched my son, I used to take my son to spring training. And I have this great picture, I've told some of you this. This great picture where the, the, the signature, when you go to spring training, you get a lot of access to very, very famous players. And so my son would always get signatures on, on baseballs. And this trip just capitulated. And the last year we did it when I was down south, I had 80 guys with their, with their kids going on this trip. I should have charged. I could have, that could have paid for Dylan's college. Well, maybe some of it, a day. Anyway. And so my son, just in his graciousness, kept letting all these, these new boys that were on the trip with their dads go in front of him. And his favorite player, the only time he ever saw this guy, was signing balls uh, as he was leaving the game. And he just let person after person go, right? And then my son hands the ball to him, and they blow the whistle or a horn or whatever, and he can no longer sign anything. He hands the ball back to him. My son was crushed. You know what was going through his head? I don't know this for sure, but I, this is what would be going through my head. Are you kidding me? I've been coming to this trip for six years. I've been waiting for this one signature all my life. I could have had it. And who does he reach out to? That guy? That guy, this is, he's been here for like three days, and that's it. Or that guy? He's going to the, that guy, I know that guy. That guy's so, so mean. And, and he, Jesus, you let Tim sign that guy's ball? Are you kidding me? Dylan probably would never think those things, but I would. This is what the crowd is grumbling about. Really? The one guy you reach out to? And it's that guy? Remember in the world that we struggle in, when it comes to Jesus and encountering Jesus and encountering salvation and life-changing transformation and the joy that happens there, so much of the time we struggle with guilt and we say that we're not worthy of Jesus' attention. You know, when you say that, you become the they in the story. But you're just doing it to yourself. And I encourage you, this is for free, this isn't even in the notes, folks. I just encourage you, remember Jesus stopped in the middle of the crowd and he looked up to the guy in the tree. Why? Because he was worthy? No, not because he was worthy. Because he was seeking. Because he was seeking. And he was not going to be deterred from being able to see Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's what it means to take that step of faith. It means to seek Jesus. And what you see as just one facet of encouragement and inspiration from this story today is that Jesus brought not just salvation to Zacchaeus, which we'll read in a moment, but what he does is he reaches out to him and he says, um, Zacchaeus, it's not enough that you and I just talk here in front of everybody so everybody knows that I care about you, no matter what you've done, no matter how they look at you. We're going to your house. Oh, I know what people are going to say if I go to your house. If I hang out with you, just even talking with you, I know what people are going to say. 
but let's double down on it. Let's triple down. Let's really go for broke on this Zacchaeus. Let's go to your house. Because in Jewish culture, going to someone's house, that was full acceptance. Jesus was making a statement of full acceptance of the one who was rejected by society. Does that start to describe to you who Jesus is? the beauty of Jesus Christ and what we have to be thankful for. So let's see what happened here. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. I don't even know what that means. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Not double, not triple, fourfold. Have you ever received a tax penalty? Right? A tax penalty? You're sitting there just scratching your head saying, this is highway robbery. This is, I mean, you might have other words for it, but those are the words I can use from up here. I don't think it's a mistake. He says fourfold. He knows how to take penalties and interest. But even in their worst days as chief tax collectors, they wouldn't have charged fourfold. And so what he says is from one who has been exacting interest and, and taking what is not mine, I'm going to give back. Give back more than I could possibly imagine. Fourfold. And this was Jesus' response. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Great verse, amen? What a great story. So how does this relate to thankfulness? How many of us have been dead in our sins? How many of us have been helpless? How many of us have felt inadequate of God's grace, God's love. Maybe let's not even go that far. We, maybe for some of us, we can't even get close to that. We don't feel adequate towards the love of the people around us because we've hurt them so much. We don't feel adequate to even allow ourselves to be loved. We don't love ourselves because we know what's inside of us. So when Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost, when Jesus is passing by and who he chooses out of the crowd is the one that the entire crowd would be the most upset about. Think about the thankfulness within Zacchaeus' heart. And think about how that translated into giving in this story, this response of giving so let's break this down, and we'll think about it also in, in context to this, this statement on giving. But let's, let's think about, okay, what do we do with all of this? And I, I apologize, I should have had that up there. Um, oh, well. That's a big theological statement for get over it. Okay. Giving is an inquiry to one's spiritual health and heart. You can take out your sermon notes and, and uh, fill in a little bit here. Giving 
is an inquiry to one's spiritual health and heart. And if you haven't caught the link, today we're going to be linking the idea of thanks <laughs> with giving. So we'll gather uh, on Thursday and we'll do a big meal with someone somewhere, hopefully. If you do not have a place to focus and, and celebrate Thanksgiving, you come share that with me after this service and we will find a place in this church. I've already heard of several families that are opening up over and over to people that need a place. Um, you don't have family necessarily. Uh, your family's out of state, whatever. You come talk with us. Nobody should celebrate Thanksgiving alone. Amen? So we're, that's who we are as a church. But I think those who originated this idea of Thanksgiving put it together. It's not just about thanks. It's about giving. And when you go back to those original stories where we, we uh, dress up in our plays and we reenact the, the pilgrims and the feast and the corn and, and, you know, so many churches have spiritualized, you know, the thing about the corn and all this stuff. We've all heard about that stuff. And, you know, here's a, a often oversighted idea. It wasn't just two people making the meal. Many of you will go somewhere. This I will go somewhere. Cindy's house. Thursday. And there will be two people primarily doing the meal. And I feel guilty. I get over it real fast, right around 5 o'clock. But every year I threaten to make a lemon meringue pie or, or do something. And, and I always feel bad because it's this idea that when, when the pilgrims came, they all brought something. And it cost them something. But they all participated in bringing food for the celebration. That's why it was called a thanksgiving Often our thankfulness is reflected in giving. So let's, let's break this down a little bit. So Zach's response is an indicator of his true new nature. True repentance. True repentance. The question here, the, the idea that we're wrestling with is that giving is an inquiry, it's a study, it's an examination to one's spiritual health and heart. Where was Zacchaeus' spiritual health prior to Christ? Not good. Not good. It was focused on money. It was focused probably on self. Now, I want to be careful because I don't know him. You don't know him. <laughs> we don't know this guy. We have this little story here. But based off of what it took to be a tax collector and then rise up through the ranks to become the chief tax collector, come on, folks, there's... We can, we can put some assignments of characteristics here. You can't be a chief tax collector unless you're about yourself. So it stands to reason that Zacchaeus wasn't doing real well spiritually. And so when we look at this idea that giving is an inquiry to one's spiritual health and heart, prior to Christ, Zacchaeus was taking, 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 taking. And if you were to stop and take a snapshot, a little Polaroid of one's spiritual health, when you look and examine Zacchaeus' life prior to Christ, it was not good. His soul was starving. There probably wasn't a lot of thanks. There probably wasn't a lot of giving. But after Christ, Zacchaeus was new. There was a complete change. There was a response that was directly correlated to becoming new because of Christ, 
there was a mirror, or, or not a mirror reflection, the exact opposite reflection, right? The opposite reflection of who he was prior. That is the definition of repentance. Zach's response is, and nice, nice grammar, whoever wrote that. Zach's response is an indicator of his true new nature. The question for us is, is your heart lacking? Is my heart lacking, right? Is my heart lacking in spiritual health? Let's take that snapshot before and after Christ. Let's take it even now as we examine this. Where's our heart of thanksgiving? How did we approach this past week? Were we more consumed with traffic and the problem of traffic? Were we more consumed with our bills? Were we more consumed with being overwhelmed? Are we reserving an observance of Thanksgiving till Thursday? <laughs> it gives us a chance to look at our heart when we inquire to our spiritual health. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. Let's turn there. This is going to be an offset. We're going to parallel the story with Zach. 2 Corinthians 9. And this is a great passage on giving. We're going to give you a little uh, uh, snapshot into our philosophy of giving today. We can't speak about this without speaking about giving. It was funny, last year, um, one of our, our uh, wonderful church family brought an individual brand new to our church on this Sunday. And this is my typical Sunday to speak about giving. And the person was like, Oh no, oh no, he's speaking about money, of all things, to speak about money. We have a visitor in the room. Oh no. Folks, we all need to relax a little bit. This is a real thing. For Zacchaeus, it was very real. And this is inspirational to see what God does in all aspects of our life. Amen? So let's look at what Paul is talking about to the church in Corinth as they are gathering together an offering to help a church that's experiencing persecution and famine. And we're going to be in verses 6 through 7. He's talking about giving, and he's talking about the right attitude of giving. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I, I think maybe even instantaneously Zacchaeus understood this. Right? Have you ever gotten so inspired, or maybe you're just really excited that you kind of overcommit on something? Yeah, I can name that song in one note. No, you can't. Fourfold. Fourfold. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. How does this go back to the quote that we looked at today? Right? The giving can be under compulsion. There's no benefit to that. There's zero benefit to that. How does that cultivate a heart of, thanks, of thanksgiving? It doesn't. You're leveraged to give. How does that fit with Zacchaeus? If there was anybody who understands the freedom of giving, which we hear that in his statement, right? All he had done for his occupation was leverage money from people. And here, in an instant, his heart is changed because of Jesus Christ, and now he's 
freely give. There is such a beautiful contrast, and that is exactly what Paul's talking about. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you give here at CBC, we have multiple ways for you to do that. We can talk about that later, but as you give, may I please tell you, always withhold your giving if what is prompting you to do that are manipulative words by the pastor. One of the reasons we don't pass the plate anymore, we used to pass the plate, and uh, there's people who love the passing of the plate. They grew up with the passing of the plate. I always used to say, as we would, often I would say, as we would pass the plate, if you need something, go ahead. Just reach in there and grab it. Now, I knew that most people write things in checks and they wouldn't be able to use it, so that was kind of a safe, safe bargain, but, um, you know, I have to be honest with you. But what we did find out is that there were individuals, both people that had been here for a little bit of time, but new people as well. One of, one of our uh, wonderful church family witnessed an individual that had come, was invited by somebody, and that when that plate was passed, they did this, and did this and just kind of held their hand as the plate passed. And they were pretending to give. Folks, if that's what we do, we've got it wrong according to what Christ says and according to what Paul is saying right here. So that's why we don't pass the plate, because that didn't just happen on one occasion. God does not exact guilt on people. It is through the grace of Jesus Christ that we are inspired to give. And I get to share with you right now a little bit about that here at CBC. By the way, the key word here is cheerful. I don't know if I finished the passage. Did I finish it? See? See how that works? I just teased you. So let's finish it. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Fast forward to December 25th. You're sitting with people. You're handing out presents. And uh, your child, your precious child, you have purchased this present. You made it. You made this present. It was made a little bit with materials and some of your own blood and tears of joy all just put together and one of those hallmark Christmas movies and you give it to your child on Christmas morning they open it up and they're just looking at it and they look at the Xbox and they look at your presence in the Xbox and just grab the Xbox and smile I, I go to really bad effort to demonstrate this point when you give, I want you to picture that. I want you to picture that when you give, what, what God is honored by is the heart that desires to give out of thankfulness. Amen? The cheerful giving. This is how we give at CBC. Let me relay it a little bit. We had a request above and beyond. Above and beyond what people give here to support what we do as a church. Above and beyond for the, the people in Texas from Hurricane Harvey. 
And this church gave close to $4,500. And you might think, well, $4,500, that's great. That's not like, you know, you're hearing on the radio that, you know, certain organizations, the Warriors have raised $1.5 million, you know, all this. $4,500. Let me encourage you. $23,000 is what was raised from all of our churches in our district. We gave 20% from this little church of the total gift. And it was given cheerfully above and beyond what we do to support here. Think God is pleased? And do you think that those responses of giving came because they were coerced? They were not coerced. It's a free opportunity to give. And do you think the people that have given, as you hear that, they're inspired and that there's great joy because of it? Absolutely. And do you think that the churches that are receiving all of this, just like in 2 Corinthians 9, all these churches that are receiving when there is such a dire need for the people in the regions around them, that they are joyfully and cheerfully receiving with thanksgiving the help and the relief? Absolutely. What was happening in 2 Corinthians 9 is happening today, and we are part of it. We are part of it. Paul is speaking to us. Let's go to the second point today. Giving is an inspired response that is invoked by a heart of thankfulness. Amen? So let's go back to Zach, our man Zach, our diminutive person. Zach's response is inspired to full commitment because of Jesus. Zach's response in this story is one that is fully committed. He stands up. So what that means is that they had gone to his house they were sitting, and, and when you sit uh, at that time, you were sitting cross-legged. You were reclining a table. Well, the table was about three, three feet. And you would be sitting on the floor on pillows. And get the picture in your mind of Jesus and, and Zacchaeus, and we don't know what they would, were discussing necessarily, but something happened within Zacchaeus' heart that he responds in full commitment. And he does so, so much that he stands up in a gesture of, full-blown thankfulness and giving. And he says, I am changed. Whatever I have taken, I will restore fourfold. I'm making a commitment before you, my new Savior. Fully committed. This is a heart of thankfulness. This is a response of thankfulness. When we do an inquiry into looking, where is our spiritual health? Where is our heart? When we see actions like this, that are deci or decisive, we can see the spiritual health of the heart. It's an inspired response that is invoked by a heart of thankfulness. And it's because of Jesus Christ. Are we enriched by an inspired heart of thankfulness resulting in an overflowing of giving? I think we are. I think we are. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians again. And let's pick it up in verses 10 through 12. Paul says this, again, to those that are gathering a gift for a church in need. He says this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Paul is saying, God, who is the one that supplies your need. This is why we continually thank God, whether it's at the table, uh, over food, whether it's at night when we're thinking about how God has sustained us, whether it's in the moment where suddenly we, we're not able to uh, uh, take care of a certain situation, 
but it is supernaturally provided. I've heard stories this week within our church of this church reaching out to those who are in need, and there's such a heartfelt sense of thankfulness. It is an inspired response. And that is exactly what Paul is saying, is that God is the one that gives so that you can in turn give to others. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. So watch this. This is brilliant. Look, what I see in there is you need to give. And if you give to the things that I tell you to give to, God is going to multiply what you have. So the more that you give, the more that you're going to get. And that's what Jesus wants for you. Did you see that in there? Thank you. I just received a great, great communication from Gil and Amy Medina in Tanzania, in Africa, the subcontinent of Africa, all over the world. The prosperity gospel, this insipid lie, is going all over the place, and it's bred upon people who are in poverty. And the reason it is is because charlatans know that they can go in and preach this filth and, and work away and fleece away money for themselves, just like a cheap tax. Oh, that God would bring up Luke 19 to those individuals. That they would see their need for repentance, for their selfishness. That will not happen here at CBC. That is not of God. Amen? So, if you're new today, and you're like, wait a minute, you know, you just told, no, that was called sarcasm, it is my spiritual gift. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 12, this idea of are we enriched by an inspired heart of thankfulness resulting in an overflowing of giving. We keep looking at, at well, let's continue. Verse 12. Actually, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Oh, that these prosperity preachers would give away their millions. Because that's what Paul says here. Then I'll back them. To a certain degree. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Amen? For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The result of giving because God has given to us is a result of an overflowing of thanksgiving. Have you experienced that in your life? Number one, because of Jesus Christ, but hopefully because of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ working through his people, the church. This is what makes the church vibrant and alive. We can't, I just don't see how we can have thanks without giving. If you walk away with anything today, connect those two thoughts, please. Let's finish out today, shall we? Well, with the preaching. With the preaching. Giving is an indicator of the heart's realization of tragedy, responsibility, and blessing. What? Pastor, that just went kind of negative. The word tragedy in there is supposed to be a happy, happy, joy time. It's Thanksgiving week. What? You mentioned tragedy. Well, look at Zacchaeus' life. 
Look at Zacchaeus' life. Let's look at that statement again, right? Giving is an indicator of the heart's realization of tragedy, responsibility, and blessing. When we receive, often what happens in our own lives is we start to examine that heart of generosity that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 9, the one that stems from God's grace. When we start to question ourselves, we start to examine our own heart. And sometimes what comes up isn't very good. Does this sound like Zacchaeus? Without a doubt. Zacchaeus' response of giving stems from the Spirit leading his spirit. And this is the spirit of thanksgiving. It's transformative. And this is the only part of where examining our life and examining the tragedy of decisions that have cost people, including ourselves, is permitted under grace. To examine and look and see so that we might turn away from that and become different people. Does this sound like exactly what happened with Zacchaeus? That is the only value. And we do not live under the pressure of that guilt of who we used to be. That, is, that has nothing to do with the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That has nothing to do with the Spirit of God whatsoever. But we can utilize who we used to be. And Paul refers back to himself, I was the chief of sinners, decades after his conversion on the Damascus Road. We don't necessarily forget, but we use what we used to be to remind us of who we need to be. The heart of the church should always examine its stewardship and giving as an indicator of spiritual health. Oh, pastor, that sounds a little bit like you're leveraging us. No, I'm not. I'm not. That, this is exactly what we see from Zacchaeus. This is exactly what we see out of the text that Paul is providing to the Corinthian church, the encouragement to the Corinthian church. The heart of the church should always examine its stewardship in giving as an indicator of spiritual health. Let me just do this. I'll throw it on the leadership of the church. That'll be easier, right? That'll be easier. Oh, phew, thank God. He's going to attack the leadership. That means him. Okay, good. Let me ask you a question. Are you inspired because your leadership, not just me, but that your leadership said, we are going to reach out? We're not reaching budget. <laughs> oh, now we're making it personal. We're not reaching budget. We're a little bit below budget, but we're going to reach out to those in need and give money away. We're going to actually encourage our people to do that. That was a decision that had to stand in the face of, mm, are we going to make it this year? By the way, we're not saying those things. We know that God is walking with us and providing exactly what we need. That's where your leadership's at. And this church has been faithful. Faithful. We need to continue on in unity towards this idea of thanks and giving. But this church has been faithful. But there was a little bit of, of we had to be good stewards here. Can we really afford? Can we really, will the people really respond? And so we step out in faith and we say, this is something that God is doing. This is something that God is requiring. And this is something straight out of Scripture, out of 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to offer it to the people and see if they respond. And you responded. I believe that's good stewardship. Your church leadership has asked you to invest in something that can have spiritual implications for both the giver and the receiver that leads you right back to the grace of Jesus Christ and spiritual growth and spiritual health. 
But we weren't done there. Natural disasters kept happening. And then there's a North Face fire. That's an understatement. There's a North Face fire. And so our church responded in that, kind of in a little fun way. But I got to tell you, as, as one of the leaders here, I'm looking at and I really wrestled. I'm like, we just gave 20% of the total gift from this mighty and powerful and spirit-led and Bible-believing church. God, I don't know that it's fair for us to go back to the people again and say, boy, there's another need. And I have to be honest with you, then I thought, and then there's going to be another need. And there's going to be another need. How much can we really do this? And the Spirit said to me, offer it. That the people might have thanks in giving. Offer it. So we put a little different twist on it. And people didn't only just give with you know, their resources, they gave with their bodies. Their very worn out, bruised bodies in a basketball game. And God blessed us that there were no major injuries. And the church raised another $1,300. So hopefully all of you that did pledges on that, you, you've gotten your information, and, and we're looking to get all that brought together in an in-gathering over the next couple weeks, and that sent out. And here's what we would like to do. Rather than send it to the national office in a very informal setting, why don't we partner with one of the churches up there and send a delegation just like they did in the New Testament? And let's send a delegation and, and, and arrive at, at that church and, and bring the gift just like used to, what used to happen. That's inspirational, isn't it? So I guess now we're doing it. <laughs> so we conclude with this thought this morning with the thanks and giving. To him who's been given much, much will be required. To him who's been given much, much will be required. Much was given to Zacchaeus. Life was given to Zacchaeus. While God never leveraged, you never see in the text that Jesus said, now if you want to go do this, or if you want this grace, you need to do this or this or this. This was a response. But it was one that was led by the Spirit. What is the Spirit leading you in? What is the Spirit leading you in? This morning, as we think about and close this idea, there are three kinds of giving, grudge giving. Hopefully you've heard that this has nothing to do with God. And churches that are doing this need to repent of it. That's all I'll say. Duty giving. Yeah. If you're giving on a weekly or monthly basis because you see this as your duty? That's not the most spiritually healthy thing. Now, my duty to be healthy physically is to eat vegetables and not Lucky Charms. I'll just say that. Now, if my mindset and my heart was more about being healthy and that I pursued all that versus the discipline of a diet, right? We all know these things, right? That if you're really going to be successful and be healthy, you have to have a complete rethink of how you approach life. That's the best option. But it doesn't mean that making the efforts and building discipline in your life and, and just saying no because you know that you need to say no or yes to certain things because you know you need to say yes, 
there is some value in that, but that's not the apex, that's not the best. That's kind of what duty giving is. And then thanksgiving. So as you gather for thanksgiving this coming Sunday, I really want you to think about this. When I give, whatever I give, to whomever I give, is it given out of a response of thanks? Because when you think about the power of Zacchaeus' words, that was thanks. That was thankfulness. But look at this last point. Do you see what's in red? But there is no song in it. So maybe I haven't given you a good connection point. One of the reasons we do this sermon at the beginning of the ser- uh, service is so that there is a response to what God has spoken to us through his word. Now we can respond through words and song to what we've heard and how we've been inspired in our hearts. And as Carly's going to come and lead us in worship with the band in a moment, I want you to think about this, that with duty giving, yes, there's a discipline to it, but how eloquent for, for Mr. Roddenmayer to say this, there's no song in it. There's no song in it. You ever been at Home Depot and you hear the guy or the gal? I've never heard a girl whistling. I don't know why. I just, I, I, I'm not. It's, usually it's a guy and usually it's Scott Parkinson. <laughs> right? And so, have you ever been in Home Depot and you can just hear the guy? Everybody, uh, go, go to Home Depot on a Saturday morning. Everybody's like, right? You know, I'm going to get that package of galvanized nails before you do, right? You know? And, uh, and then you always, over the next, you know, If you're ever struggling, just try to whistle. You cannot have a bad day and whistle that song. There is a song that stems out of a heart of thanksgiving. Isn't that a beautiful thought? So let's leave that. This Thanksgiving, let your heart sing. Amen? Just like Zacchaeus. Let me close in prayer, and we're going we're gonna to have a response of thanksgiving and song now. Father, this morning as we lead out in praise to you, as we prepare in our hearts for this idea of thanksgiving, give us inspiration. Give us hearts that rejoice. Out of the grace that has been given to us, the grace that's been afforded to us, let us always give out of that grace, Lord. To you be all glory. Amen.